0: Well, if it's your first time here, um, this is a great Sunday to drop in because we are beginning a brand new uh, study through the book of Acts. Um, now, how I say it sometimes make it, makes it sound like Acts as in like A-X-E, like as in a, uh, the body spray or perhaps we're lumberjacking around here, but it's Actus um, is, there, is the real thing it is. And it's an interesting uh, title, but essentially what it means is this is um, the Acts of the Apostles. These are the things that the apostles did. Um, now, that preassumes a lot of church information, so let me kind of set the context for what we're going to read today. Um, before Jesus stepped foot on planet Earth, uh, the Old Testament. Um, being all pre-Jesus, talked about this Messiah that was going to come, this Messiah that's going to come. And what we believe is that most all of the Old Testament in some way, shape, or form, whether directly through prophecy or indirectly through imagery, was pointing and was setting up the nation of Israel for the coming Messiah. Well, Jesus steps foot on planet Earth, starting as, as we have it recorded in our Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the four accounts of the documents of the life of Jesus, where they sat down and they wrote down, this is what happened in the life of Jesus. And, and in this life, he did some incredible stuff. He did miracles at times. Uh, at times, he did some teachings that were riveting. At times, he did teachings that were so repulsive. It drove everybody away. And then He'd heal some folks, and they'd all you know, come flocking back to him. But then at the end, he did what no one thought... The Messiah would do. He died. And the big problem is one, theologically, God dying does not fit squarely into anybody's box at the time. No one thought God was going to die. In fact, this is evidence of the self-admission of the writers of the New Testament as they would say, not even we believed. We thought maybe great teacher, maybe wise prophet, but we had hoped he was the Messiah with the implication, but we didn't think so anymore because no one expected God to die. And then they saw him rise from the dead. But the problem was, is they thought one of the primary functions that the Messiah would do was to return the nation of Israel to its place of power. They believed that the nation of Israel was God's ordained nation, that one of the things or one of the aspects, one of the actions that the Messiah would do is he would, as a primary mission, restore the nation of Israel. In fact, it said it well in Isaiah. It's reiterated in a bunch of different places, but Isaiah says it specifically, that that, that in the Messiah, the government, as it says, will rest on his shoulders. And so Jesus dies don't know what to do with it, comes back from the dead. And as he begins to appear, he shows up and he shows up and he shows up and they don't know how long he's going to show up for. He just keeps continuing to show up. And so when we drop into Acts chapter one, um, we catch the tail end of the last interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. Now, if you've never studied Acts before, what's interesting about it is the same person who wrote Luke, a.k.a. Luke, wrote the book of Acts. In fact, um, Luke is a physician. He's also a historian. And he's, he wrote the book of, of Luke um, to a buddy of his named Theophilus. We call him Theo. So he wrote to Theo, and he says, you know, most excellent Theophilus, I am writing you that you may have an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And here's what we know about Luke. Luke was a very smart guy. Luke... He witnessed and he um, interviewed lots of eyewitnesses. He talked to lots of people. Luke most likely followed around Peter for a number of years and talked to Peter, wrote down the stories that Peter would tell him. And then Luke documents what happens in the life of Jesus. Well, in Acts 1, he kind of parlays what he wrote down in the book of Luke, and he, he parlays it into Acts and says, this is another kind of rendition, Theophilus, of basically what happens in the early church. Now, Pause. That's literary what's happening to this point. Let me tell you why I love the book of Acts. It is, I think, one of the most simple and dynamic questions that we can ask. What would you do? What would you do if you had full knowledge of the teachings of Jesus? What would you do, in fact, if all you had was the teachings of Jesus You had no knowledge of how to live out this Christian life. You had no mentors who were going before you. In fact, there wasn't anybody to disciple them. All they had was their experience with Jesus in no church history. In fact, at that point, they didn't even know church was a thing. They just had a mission. And so the question is this, what would you do? What would you do? If you had no knowledge of Christian life, if you had no knowledge of church history, if all you had were the teachings of Jesus and the mission to take it to the nations. And this is what the book of Acts documents. Now, if you're in here and you're kind of on the periphery of Christianity or Jesus or or church, then I just think from a base level, this is a fascinating document because there is no doubt that one of the most influential things or movements that has happened in all of history has been the movement of Christianity, the movement of Jesus. And this captures the beginning, the first days and the first few years of the life of Jesus. But as we're going to see, the mission was different than what they thought the mission was going to be. And again, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. He said in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up. He says after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering, that was his death, he says he presented himself back, resurrected by many proofs, and we've talked about this a number of different times, and this is, again, so important just to reiterate, that the reason that they believed in Jesus wasn't because of belief and it wasn't because of faith. What they believed was that Jesus rose from the dead, and before he rose from the dead, he claimed that he had the authority to forgive sins. When he died, they probably thought, doesn't have the authority to to forgive sins. But after his death, they saw him rise again, and there was the proof and the validity of that, that they believed if he can actually call his own death, which none of us believe, and we saw him rise again, then perhaps he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. They didn't believe because of belief or have faith because of faith. They believed in the proof of the evidence of the resurrection, and they consequently placed their faith in the fact that this guy who called his own death and came back could forgive sins. So he did that. He appeared to them for 40 days. Many proves he appeared to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this was the, the, the thing that Jesus said to him. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to go back up into heaven, um, but when I do, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, you're going to hang out there. You're going to wait there. And I am going to send the Holy Spirit down, and you're going to experience this. And I'm going to give you some marching orders in just a couple of verses on what to do with that. So verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, and they said, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, again, this is why it's so important. They thought the primary purpose of Jesus was that Jesus was going to restore the nation. They said, okay, the mission of what you are supposed to do next is to restore this nation. Now, Jesus was about to flip this on its head, and he was about to give them a whole different mission than I think what they had originally intended and thought. So this is what Jesus says back to them. He says, Verse seven, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, what I think is, is, is fascinating about this is that there's multiple parts. One, to this point, They thought the purpose of God was going to be to restore the nation. What Jesus turns and pivots to, he says, I'm going to restore some stuff. But for the time being, what I'm going to restore is not a nation. I'm going to restore nations of people. I am going to, I'm going to be in the business of restoring people to myself. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. The primary mission is not to restore the nation of Israel. I want you to go and I want you to bring the kingdom to people. He said, "But you can do this once you have the holy spirit." And in fact, this way again this way it says he said, "But you will receive power after the holy spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses." Now, significance of that is that for many of us, when we think about this idea of, of how we put it in the modern context is evangelism, um, what we think is how do we help this mission, this story? How do I share my testimony? But, but here's what Luke is saying that Jesus said, when you receive the spirit, you will be my witnesses. You don't have to force yourself to be my witnesses. It is the natural cause and effect of being filled with the Spirit. Another way of looking at this is in Matthew, Matthew chapter five. Jesus is teaching, giving the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about letting your light shine. He says, you know, no one, you know, sitting on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts a bowl under. He says, in the same way, let your light shine so that all people can see it. And now, here's why I think this is significant. Because I think for many of us, the problem that we run into, and I think the problem that we interface with, is the fact that instead of, instead of forcing our light to shine, we have a habit of stopping our light from shining. Here's what that looks like, here's what that means. The natural cause and effect, again, is to let it. But we try to figure out ways not to. Um, So you're in your cubicle at your office and you're um, thinking and you have a friend or a coworker who you know is in need. And you feel this prompting, this internal pull that I ought to go have a conversation with this person. And you don't have to force that prompting. You just feel it. You just know it. Yet... I think for all of us, all of a sudden a moment hits where we try to justify the reasons why that doesn't make sense. Well, I don't really know Karen anyways, and, you know, and, 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 you know Theo, he's going through some stuff anyways. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's really my place to have a conversation. I'm not saying you got to go be a weirdo to everybody, okay? But what I am saying is, 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 it, is it, it's okay to go and just say, hey, I see you're going through some stuff. Is there anything I can do? Is there any way I can pray for you. Is there anything I can, anything I can do that I, that I can help? Do you want to talk about it? If you don't want to talk about it, totally fine. I know we don't even really know each other, but I just want you to know if you ever do we want to talk about it. I'm here for you. You have a friend that you know is going through some stuff, and, and instead of going and being proactive about engaging in a relationship with them, you kind of put them off like everybody else does. <clears throat> we have opportunities all the time to let our light shine, to be his witnesses naturally by the overflow of the Holy Spirit. In fact, what's interesting to me about this is as he talks about it, he says, man, then you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I think that, that truthfully, we don't know what that power looks like. We kind of think of some weird kind of crazy kind of metaphysical all of a sudden, like, right? I mean, it, it's like you feel like all of a sudden you're, it, this power should be like this weird, you know, activity. And you don't even know how to describe it. You don't even really know what to look for. But it's just this weird thing that I have power now. And, you know, it's, and if you've ever seen Incredibles, right? It's like Jack-Jack has powers. All of a sudden, he's like zapping stuff with his eyeballs. You're like, that's the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me tell you, in the book of Acts, here, here's what the Holy Spirit most often looks like. Number one, deep conviction. Deep conviction. There's almost always a deep conviction of sin, and there's almost always a deep conviction of who we ought to be. Number two, there is almost always a bold selflessness, a self-denial to the service of other be- people and the boldness of the gospel. There is a sense of selflessness when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Number three is more often than not, there is a mark of wisdom. There is a mark of wisdom that happens. And number four is there is a mark of an ability to help people come to know Jesus. kind of a a convertive power, an ability. Not that you articulate it perfectly or say it extremely well, but, but there's just this thing inside of you, right? And people see it. People see that in the difficult moments, you are the one who does what's right, even when what's right isn't what's easy. Even when what's right might be what's costly. You do the right thing. It's this, it's this deep awareness that you don't do the right thing because you ought to or because you have to. You do it because it's this selfless act because you actually care about other people. There's wisdom in you. And for some reason, when people have a conversation, they want to know the God that you know. And I think the tragedy is for many of us, um, we see this. We see this, and what we think is I have to go do something when they would say, no, you just, sometimes you just have to let it. You have to stop stopping it. And so after that, Jesus just disappears. It would have been helpful if he had given some like tips and some pointers about good strategies and and what to do next, but verse nine, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up, and a cloud took him, out of their sight, they were gazing into heaven. And as he went, and behold, two men stood beside them in white robes. People often you know, think they're angels, or they probably were, unless just two randos with white robes came walking up. He said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven?" Which I feel like is the silliest question because we just saw Jesus go up there, and we don't know what to do now, right? Like. I don't know if you ever put yourself in the apostle's shoes. Sometimes we again view these guys, you know, idealistically, but I think they're looking up there. And I'm, i i was—I wonder, was this like one of those um, when he goes up and he disappears, and you're just like, "Shut up!" That just happened, or was it like a um, uh, a balloon? You know, when like a balloon goes up, and you're like. Ah, is that a bird or a satellite is that Jesus I don't really know but but they're looking up and they see him kind of disappear and this guy comes up and these guys come up out of left field and they're saying why are you looking up it's like because we just saw the resurrected savior ascend into the clouds that's kind of a big deal so we're just sitting here awestruck trying to figure out if we're seeing bird satellite or the savior we're not really sure but we're looking up seeing this thing and he says hey hey stop looking up because we want you to know there's a mission they go on to say this This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And so the next thing they do is to not hesitate to go begin to fulfill the mission that Jesus called them to now. Here's what I think here's what I think they took from this. At this point, you got to think, as Jesus was showing up in their experience, they didn't know how long Jesus was going to continue to show up for. They didn't know if it was going to be for four days. They didn't know he was coming back. They didn't know if he was restoring the nation. But Jesus says, hey, I'm going away, but you are going to be my witnesses. This is your new mission. Your primary purpose is to do this. And the story of the early church is a story of men and women of faith who saw their primary purpose on planet Earth was to help people to come to know him, to advance the witness of the kingdom of God and the person of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. This was their primary function. This was their primary mission. And everything else in life was debatable, everything else in life was how do we integrate whatever else happens in life in light of this mission. You see, I think if I were to juxtapose our lives compared to their lives and say, what is the biggest difference that I see from a perspective of the book of Acts? I think we see the mission as how do we integrate it with all the other primary purposes in our life. I've got jobs, I've got work, I've got kids, I've got response, I've, I've got all of this stuff going on. Now, how? Now, what are some tips and some ways for me to integrate this into my life? And if you guys know me well, you know that I don't mean, so everybody quit, everybody just go, you know, say, who cares, we're all, we're all going on mission trips, because <laughs> somebody's got to pay for that mission trip. By the way, you know, it, it, it's not, it, it's the opposite, It's that everything I do revolves around this purpose. So when I'm with my family, it's this selflessness. When I'm with my my coworkers, it's this selflessness. When I'm with the people that I'm with, man, there is this deep sense that I'm going to do the right thing. There's this deep sense that no matter if everybody else in my office is doing the right thing or not, I'm going to, that I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to have wisdom. And people will see that. And they'll have conversations about it. I'm going to go serve people. I'm going to go love people even when it's difficult and when nobody else sees it. You see, I think, I think we have a miscalibration when it comes to purpose. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you, Um, but you know, hey, it's Sunday, why not Mother's Day? You forgive. Um, When I was a senior in high school. I went to this really holy experience called Spring Break at St. George Island. Um, and if you've ever been to one of those, then you know, man, just the, the amount of Bible studies that happened on that island per capita are, are compelling. Um, <clears throat> that's a joke, by the way, to say that it's not the most uh, holy experience in, in, in life. But senior in high school, um, and I drove uh, what I thought at the time was the most beautiful vehicle. It was a 1989 Eddie Bauer F- uh, Ford. Bronco. Um, It was the exact same, by the uh, exact same truck. By the way, that OJ Simpson um, drove. Anybody remember the OJ chase? Okay, cool. That means you're over 35 probably. So um, so, so, I had the exact same vehicle. Um, and me and my buddy, um, his name was Todd, but we called him Taco. Um, me and my buddy Taco, we were going to drive down to St. George. It's going to be Friday night. But before we drove down, um, there was a fight at the moon. Not like people were getting in a fight. But there was, sorry, a boxing match at the moon. Um, and it was a guy named um, Henry Akinwande, which nobody here probably remembers. But he was a, it was a Tallahassee guy. Um, and he was fighting this dude, Hurricane Peter McNeely. Now, Hurricane Peter McNeely was not a good boxer. Okay. He just fought Mike Tyson one time. and got knocked out in one round and everybody's like, oh my gosh, he fought Mike Tyson. You know, you know that you're not good when you're known by who you got knocked out by. Okay. So nonetheless, we were, we were, uh, <laughs> we were, we went to the boxing match. It was uh, taco. It was my dad. Um, and we all, you know, had a wonderful time. Well, we start heading down to St. George Island about 10 o'clock at night, which wasn't probably the best decision. Well, the truck was old. I didn't treat it well. And we got about 30 minutes out. And somewhere along the way, um, <clears throat> it's nighttime, and it's just me and him, me and Taco, and I see sparks start to happen underneath my truck. Um, and some of you know that, that, that feeling, to which most of you would do the responsible thing and think, oh my gosh, let's pull over. Um, 18-year-old Ben thinks, let's press it and see how far we can go, you know? What's pulling over going to do? So... <clears throat> So we keep driving and driving, and eventually, like, a spark start going. We're like, this is going to be a problem. And eventually, um, again, about 30 minutes out, uh, all of a sudden, it just falls out of gear, can't go anywhere. We slowly roll into another, like, this little abandoned lot on the side of the road on uh, Highway 98. Well, <clears throat> instead of being a, a good kid... Um, I decided instead of calling my dad, I was just going to call my friends and say, "Hey, will y'all come pick us up? You know, my dad—he's probably asleep anyways. You know, I care about him. So, will you guys just come and pick us up and, and bring us to Saint George Island?" So my friends said, "Yeah, you know, absolutely. We'll come pick you up." So they came, picked us up, transferred all the stuff over, got in the truck. You know, we started having a great week, having a great time at spring break. Um, about Thursday, or not Thursday, probably about Wednesday, I got a call from my dad. Now, if you've ever gotten a call from your parents, um, you know this. This there, there's multiple calls. There's one call that's like, "Hey, how's it going?" How's the beach, you know? And there's one that's like bend where you just say, yes, sir. You know, that, that, that's all you can say because you know anything else is going to get you in more trouble than you're apparently already in, but you don't know why. And so I just say, yes, sir. He goes, what's going on with the truck? Now, if you don't know me, this might not make sense to you, but if you know me, this makes perfect sense with my, with who I am. Okay. I was so focused on going to St. George and having a great time at spring break, I completely forgot to call my dad and tell him, to call a co truck, to frankly do anything about this car that was abandoned on the side of the road. And so about third Wednesday afternoon, my dad gets a call from the Florida Highway Patrol that says, sir, um, <clears throat> we've got a, a white Ford Bronco, and apparently it's got a tag that's licensed to you, um, do you, can you tell us why this thing is on the side of the road? My dad just goes, what? Like, it's one of those moments as a parent, you're like, I don't know if my kid is dead or alive or either way. If they're alive, they're going to be dead. But if they're dead, that's a good explanation. <laughs> so he calls me up and says, Ben, you want to tell me what's going on with the truck? I was like, <clears throat> Dad, did you know I love you? You know, we we have such a great relationship, Pops. Like, hey, let's talk. Like, no, the beach is great. No, so all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, Dad, I am so sorry. I totally forgot about the truck. And and, and here's why I, I say that story. I think for me in that moment, I was so focused on spring break, on having a good time, to the dismissal of everything else, to the point of irresponsibility. Here's what I see. I think that described the apostles in the early church. I think they were so focused that Jesus had said, hey, you are going to be my witnesses that the entire world needs to know. I think it's remarkable to drop ourselves in, this, in their story. Because to be honest, we look at these people and they're, they're like these people of heroic faith. These, these men and these women that would eventually change the world most of the people in this room are more educated than they were or will be more educated than they were these are not people of extraordinary means these were the people who had mostly been rejected from rabbinical school and weren't good enough And they had this mission to go to the entire world (laughs) before there were cars or cell phones or you could just post it on YouTube and like, oh, it's in the world. You know, anybody who in any country, they could just pull up my YouTube video. I've done my evangelism. I mean, this was before anything. That meant somebody either had to walk or somebody had to like ride a donkey to the ends of the earth. And what would you do with that? And here's the thing. I think what drove them was this defined their entire existence. This defined everything they were. This defined everything that they did. This was not something to integrate with life. This became life, and everything else became a question of how do I integrate it with this central purpose and mission. You see, my purpose that day was to get to the beach And their purpose, as they understood it, was gospel to the nations, but through the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me pause and say this. If you're in here and you're kind of on the periphery of church and Christianity and and, and you're wrestling with with what you believe, wouldn't this be different? And I mean this genuinely. Genuinely. Wouldn't it be different if it didn't seem like the Christians that you knew had a moderate level of integration of their faith into their life, but their faith was their entire life? And I don't mean in a way that was like weird or off-putting. I mean in a way that actually was opposite. In a way that, that for some reason, they just had this conviction. They actually lived it out. I mean, when no one else is doing the right thing, they had the boldness, they had a deep-seated conviction that they were going to choose the right thing over the easy wrong every single time. And they had character that was uncommon. Can you imagine if what you saw in Christians wasn't a projection of self-righteousness? but a humility of servitude. And this is what Jesus did, right? He, right before he died, right before he was crucified, he sits there and looks at the guy who's about to turn him over and about to be the one who, who betrays him. The Bible notes, he says, and he had all the power and the authority, and he knew it. And instead of, instead of just going off on this guy, instead of going nuts, instead of confronting him, he did the opposite. He took off his outer garment, got on his hands and feet, And he washed his feet. Can you imagine what that would be like? If your experience with church people wasn't people that were so consumed with themselves they wanted to prove how holy they were and how unholy you are. What if they were so convinced of their deep unholiness and the only reason they have justification, the only reason to write with God is because of Jesus and his death and resurrection? That instead of using that forgiveness, instead of using that deep conviction of choosing the hard right right over the easy wrong and making you feel bad, they actually just loved and served you. They had wisdom when they talked. And there was something about them that made you perhaps, so you would never explain it like this perhaps, you wanted to be like them. My guess is you would think a lot differently about God. So so if you're in here and you're a Christian, which I know many of you are, here's what I want to ask. Here's the take-home for this, and I think this has applications in a hundred different places and directions, because frankly, all of us are at different places in life. All of of us are at different places in our relationship with Jesus. But here's what I want to ask as as a question of reflection. What's the primary purpose of your life? What's the primary mission of your life? Is the main thing Jesus, his glory, and gospel to the nations? Or is it be a good person, go to church, and integrate as much as I can as it's convenient and helpful for me? I think I think the world is waiting for men and women. I think the world is waiting for women and men of faith who live empowered by the Holy Spirit. And instead of when you feel that prompting, when you feel that deep-seated, I ought to, when you feel that I should go talk, when you feel that I need to choose the right thing over the wrong thing, you stop stopping it and you start doing it let me ask you this what's the primary mission and purpose of your life because as long as we try to integrate this mission into life it will always be secondary but when it becomes our life i think the rest of our life actually we get better at and i think we begin to glorify god with so here's my prayer if you're in here and you're a christian that this becomes central if you're in here and you're not i pray that you experience some christians who do who, who that is central and perhaps you reconsider christianity let's pray heavenly father god thank you so much for this time thank you so much for your story thank you so much that you preserved this document through luke and you gave the marching orders That under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, we will be witnesses. And that witness goes from our city to our state, to our country, to our world. Jesus, I pray that you will make us great witnesses at home first. That we will live under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That your mission will be the primary in our life. And everything else is done in light of that. And God, I pray for everyone in here who's perhaps thinking about and wrestling with the idea of you that they would meet some people, some Christians, who live under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit that provides a deep sense of conviction a bold denial of self to the service of others, a wisdom and a winsomeness that makes people want to know you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.